Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And today I am super excited. I mean, I'm bubbling over with joy. Okay, I'll just say that. And I don't do this all the time. I always get excited about guests, but today we are joined by George Kinder. You can't do financial planning without doing life planning. And that argument is just simply that, who is it that you're serving? What is it that you're trying to do? If you're doing financial planning without life planning, you're probably relying a lot on spreadsheets, a lot on your education, on your financial planning background, all of that kind of stuff. And it's all great, but it tends to be stuff that, that is either draws you into legal areas, you know, what the law says, or draws you into selling products in one way or another. And in life planning, the beauty of it is that we put the client first and we say, gosh, what we really want to do is not sell product, not show you the most incredible way to structure your finance. What we really want to do is to deliver you into the life you most want to live. And I don't mean your most financially outrageous, that might be there, but it probably isn't that. It's more of who you really are. Like you were talking about a minute ago, about being a dad and being a parent and being in a relationship and all of those things. So what we believe is that, I mean, you know, over in India, they may live several lives, but in America, for the most part, we think we live for just once, this one time. Let's make it the best life we could possibly make. And so we start with that. What would be the best life you could possibly have? And we have all these ways of getting at it. And then let's put the finance to it. And what happens there, Emlyn, that's astonishing is that maybe it's obvious even, but people get in, if we're supporting them around what they love to do most, they get really inspired and energized. And suddenly they've got a lot of energy for doing things that they'd held back from because people had said, well, I don't know if you can do that. The accounting doesn't work quite or, you know, or their parents had some message for them or society has some message for them. Mm -hmm. And we just say, no, you were born to do this. Let's make it happen. Let's see how to do it. We'll support you. Let's look at the structure. Man. So there's so many things like just talk about there. So when I think about just the life planning in general, like you're saying, what's your ideal? Like, what do you want out of life? Like who asked you that in the first place? Like no one even asked that. I'm thinking about like, I went through school, did all my stuff. No one even, my career counselor didn't even ask me that. You know what I mean? And so to think that someone in finance, right? We all know that the financial services industry has some black eyes and some of them for the way that with clients and the way that we've done stuff. So to go in and talk about what someone wants out of life when no one else is doing that and starting the conversation there is absolutely incredible because it really just, even as you, you said it, And I sat back in my chair and I was like, and I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you and I'm thinking, what do I want? And I think that's just so powerful. You say that life planning is the relationship building methodology that enables financial planners to truly be a fiduciary for their clients. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. In some way, you know, just to bridge that frame with what we just talked about, in some way, I think it's the inspiring relationship methodology that enables a financial planner to truly be a fiduciary. And so there's no question it builds the relationship. Mm -hmm. And one of the really cool things about life planning, at least the way we teach it, and I know 
you've interviewed Scott and Meg and how they practice it, is that the relationship starts by us not being a marquee, not being a poster, not being, this is what I do and let me show you my PowerPoint. The relationship really starts with our listening so well to the client that our advice when it eventually comes is unerring. It's impeccable. It's so right spot on because we've heard the client so well. And that's a relationship building piece. You talked a minute ago about the black eyes. I'm ashamed of that stuff. Let me tell you, I mean, I'm a lot older than most of the people who listen to you. I'm 73 years old. And I am so ashamed of what has happened in the financial services industry and how it is. And I'm passionate about making it a better place. And the client should come first. People should come first. It's true all over society, of course, but particularly in finance. So we start with listening. And the first meeting is primarily just listening to the client and supporting them. And if they're upset, if they're worried, if they're fragile, I'm going to be there with the fullness of my heart. I'm going to be there. And just with an, oh, I'm so sorry. Wow, that must be really tough. Just really there. Pause, quiet down, listen, and let them talk. And that builds a relationship right there. It's like the person realizes they don't want to just sell me a product. They don't want to prove to me how great they are. And I've already seen their website. I know how great they're going to be, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But they, they really want, in addition to all that, they want to hear me and help me. And so that's the beginning. And then we go into the inspiring kind of questions that we ask to help them articulate, because it isn't always easy. Someone, what's, what would be your best life? That might be tough for someone to answer. So we might ask, what would an ideal day, an ideal week, an ideal year look like? Or we ask these questions around your legacy, or uh, we reflect on death, our mortality, and what it is we really have to do in our life to be a fulfilled human being. So that's what it is. It is a relationship building methodology. It's an inspiring relationship methodology. And it works and it's beautiful and it makes the advisor happy and it makes the client happy. And today I want to welcome Dr. Miranda Ryder to the show. How would you describe the relationship between the financial planning industry and racial wealth grant? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that we're finally getting to understanding that there is a connection between those two things, right? Mm -hmm. The financial planning industry and the racial wealth gap. I know that there was a study that recently came out, the tale of two financial plans, which is really a great addition to the literature that we have with Kamala that produced that. And then in her co-author, but then there's also this research paper by a woman named Dawn Burton, a researcher out of the UK. Mm -hmm. And she published this article called U.S. Racial Wealth Gap and the Implications for Financial Inclusion and Wealth Management Policies. Essentially, what Don Burton argues is that there is absolutely a relationship. And essentially, she states that the financial planning industry has contributed to the racial wealth gap and it's reinforced white supremacy. She says that the financial planning industry reproducing whiteness has embedded this whiteness as a, as a barrier for other people getting into the industry in terms of clients and employees. Whether or not you agree with what Don Burton says, it's interesting to think about 
that issue of has the financial planning industry been a barrier or has it been an avenue for progress as it relates to the racial wealth gap? And I think where we are right now is we are trying to, as an industry, push the needle and realize that there is a connection. But up to this point, there's a lot to be done. That racial wealth gap goes so far beyond the financial planning profession, right? It's systematic. It's something that has to be taken up with the highest of the high of this country, which is not one industry, right? But within this one little industry, there's a lot that can be done to help to close, if even a little bit, this racial wealth gap. Absolutely. And I think the change that we see in the industry will trickle into what's going on in the wealth gap. Let me explain. So what I mean by that is, as we see more diversity come into the industry, right? As we have more messengers out here saying the message, as we have more Emlins and the Sartes and Chloe's and Anna's and people, you know, like that going out and spending the time with these families, the numbers look like this. This is what I always like to look. We, uh, you know, if you have, you know, 500 advisors helping, you know, 75 households apiece, that's 75 households. So that's 75 families at least. And then those 75 families are going to be impacted majorly. Right. And it's not only just the parents, it's the kids, it's the family, it's the entire yes. family. Yes. And so I think, you know, when you look at people coming into the profession, making space for people to come into the profession is huge. I think that you see those same things in every industry, no matter what industry it is, the people that were in power created the industry and created the rules for that industry. So the same people were in power in every industry. It wasn't like it was something, you know what I mean? So the constructs and the things that make it difficult are in every one of them. This one just happens to be the one that's directly tied to the person's ability to build Absolutely. and helping them, you know what I mean? Yes. So and giving them the tools to do it. So it needs to take a little more ownership. And I think uh, the industry as a whole have a facelift in an update because, I mean, we make this industry incredibly difficult, inaccessible to many people. And we need to change that. That's something that we want to do different. How can financial professionals bridge that gap? Like, how can they help? What can they do? Yes, yes. I really love this question. So last summer, I uh, talked to the MIT Age Lab and their constituents about financial planning and the racial wealth gap. And there, when I talked I had five things that I said that the financial planning industry could do to help ameliorate this issue. So the first thing that I feel like is on the list is actually to just acknowledge and be aware that this is an issue. And I know that, that sounds so simple, but <laughs> if you don't believe that there's a racial wealth gap, or if you want to ignore that that's a problem, I mean, you're not going to get beyond that. So being aware and being intentional about what you're doing, how you're doing it, what you're saying, who you're serving, who you're letting into your firm. I mean, there's a lot of decisions that are made on a daily basis when we're talking about financial planning, being intentional when we're looking at those different things. And so that kind of leads into the second one of being intentional about who's being hired into the firm. Attract diversity into your firm. Again, that's something that you have to be intentional about or else it won't happen. Third, I would say developing cultural competency where that's needed. Amazingly, that is something that is missing from a lot of institutions out there, just being aware. And some of those things, you know, that you might see are those affinity groups, right? So there's firms out there without affinity groups. They don't realize that perhaps 
some employees or financial advisors might, you know, want to have an LGBTQ plus community within the firm or that there should be a Latinx group within the firm or there should be a recognition of certain holidays and things like that. Developing cultural competency, not just for employees, but also for clients. I remember talking at a NAPA conference and I said, hey, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, right? Do you know that? If you're queuing into cultural competency and you want to be known for that, do your clients know that you know that? Mm-hmm. That's important, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, the fourth and fifth thing I mentioned uh, were to think about maybe things that you can do in your fee structure that would perhaps allow more diversity if that's necessary for some people that they don't have to do anything. But is there something that you can do to open up the opportunity to serve a more diverse client base in terms of fee structure. The last thing, giving back and educating and being where the people are that you want to serve. Those are my five. And so today we're going to keep it moving in that vein. And we have Shahara Wooten on today. So I believe that everybody has a financial story and everybody has one that they want to create. And Part of that is a narrative. There's a narrative to it. So even with any book you can find, there's always some type of purpose behind it. I recently wrote a book actually called In the Meantime, Own Your Financial Narrative. And really what I am focused on is creating your own financial narrative. And I'm going to have to back up a little bit because some of the driving force, like I said before, was the wealth gap. The fact that by 2053, Black wealth is slated to go to zero. 2073, Latino wealth is slated to go to zero. What in the world? You know, I wanted to be a part of the solution to make sure that does not happen. So when owning your financial narrative, it means taking ownership over your narrative so that all the other outside forces that are telling us this is the way it's supposed to be for you and this is what it's been like. We can own our narrative. We can begin to learn and take opportunities to become educated about our finances, to talk to others, to have that conversation and to get the help that we need as well and begin to take ownership of this narrative and create your own narrative. You know, like I even tell people, even within my business and what I'm doing, I'm closing my own personal wealth gap. We're closing each one of us. You know, we have this overarching wealth gap, but we all have a personal wealth gap that we're trying to close and catch up with. And we have to take that action. We have to pursue it. We have to prepare. We have to plan. And so that is what I'm really big on is what do we do in the meantime? What do we do knowing this information, knowing all these things are stacked against us? What do we do to make sure that we know what to do with the money that we're getting and how to handle that and to create that legacy for the next generation and pass that on. Whether we get, you know, reparations, whether we get any additional funds outside, what do we need to do to take action for ourselves? I love that, like controlling the narrative, telling your story, right? Absolutely. Tell the story the way that you want to tell it. And I think even in that telling your own story, taking back that financial power, right? This has been yeah. such a place where we have given our power up to numerous things, but mm-hmm. be able to take that back and tell your own story. And you said something about the wealth gap. You did say two stats. I want to spend some time talking about the wealth gap specifically, but you said that wealth for black families would be at zero by 2053. And for Latinos, that same zero would be 2070, right? 
73. 73. Yes. Wow. So let's talk about the wealth gap. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, yes. Let's talk, talk about, about it. Absolutely. So as I started to work with people and in my practice and just started to see even just previous firm that I was working with and just some of the measures that they would have us be measured by or, you know, perform according to. And a lot of it had to do with assets. So I was noticing that, oh my goodness, where are the assets? You know, my people, where are we with assets? We might have income and we might be, and there's a whole gender and wage and racial wage gap, all kinds of gaps going on. But, you know, when it came to assets, when I got into the financial services industry, I saw that there was a difference between black wealth, white wealth, and, you know, based on race. And it just was a reality check. So it caused me to dig a little deeper. What is going on? And I always, my parents were very big on telling me my Black history. Like I definitely was sat down in front of documentaries as a kid. So I always knew and was very proud of my Blackness and who I am as a person because they instilled that into me. But it was really telling when I learned that in 2016, there was a study revealed that the Black wealth was 17,100 and white wealth was 171,100. And when I saw that, it was like, oh, well, there you go. That's why I'm seeing such a chasm between finding people with a certain amount of assets and them being African-American versus not. And so it was just that reality check that, wow, we need to do something about this. So there's that. And then there's also the 228 year number, which says that there is a wealth gap of 228 years between Black people, Black families, and white families. And in my book, I actually go through and I start off talking about Greenwood, the Black Wall Street. And that is just one example as to why that happened. There's Jim Crow. There was a history of terror. It's not because Black people hadn't tried to do things or they hadn't pursued or made any efforts there were quite a bit of efforts, and we're still doing that even today, but they were halted. They were throttled. There was a history of exclusion in the country that has caused this gap to happen. I mean, we can go back to enslavement, and it's amazing I'm here today because I am a descendant of enslaved humans, and I'm here today because of them. But when they came out, they didn't get anything. But then one of the things that I was doing and learning in my research, there were plenty of homestead acts between the 1840s and the 1930s, where many, many white Americans and immigrants received and God just pretty much handed to them That's land, mm -hmm. just given to them. So mm -hmm. my heritage is one in this country where we built the country at no cost under toil and distress and didn't get anything. So that's part of the gap. That's part of why there's a gap. But then also there's redlining. There's so many different factors of exclusion. So that is just the reality check that I had to come to grips with. But then I said, well, how do I make sure that I take the necessary steps to do my part, to make sure I understand all of this, to make sure that, and then also be a part of a group of people, because I'm not the only one and can't be the only one, to help others to be able to close this gap. We are joined by Leah Landeverde. I started my entrepreneurship journey with 
helping people start businesses in my local state because that's what I was familiar with with my parents. Entrepreneurship was their generational wealth. Like my parents really do have now a successful landscaping business that they literally lost and had to rebuild. So I witnessed my parents do all of that. And my parents really instilled giving back to the community in my childhood. I would watch my parents help others who migrated here to the U.S. My dad would give them jobs, you know? And so I was like, okay, if my dad can give back, I can give back. So this is my way of giving back. Obviously, it didn't correlate with Goldman Sachs because of conflict of interest. So I had to quit. I was forced to resign, if I'm very honest. But it's okay. I accept it. We're Mm -hmm. moving on. And, you know, I just started a little Instagram account. And I was like, all right, I'm going to help people start businesses in my local state. You know, at first it was 20 people following me, then it was 100 people, then it was 200, then it was 300. And then there was eventually a client that was like, yeah, I want to start my business. I want to start a tile company. Can you help me? I don't know where to start. Where do I go? What are the things I need to consider? And that's how it started. And then it just made me realize, okay, this information is not accessible, even just with starting a business. How about, you know, at my core of personal finance and finances, they're just what I understand and know. So I would like put tips about finance in there as well. And then I think around maybe three months of doing the entrepreneurship thing, I was, okay, Leah, let's go back. Let's reframe. What's the vision? What are you doing? I'm all about manifesting into the future. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Like at its core, what do you want? And at its core, I want a generational wealth. I want my community, Black, Indigenous, people of color to literally hand down wealth to the next generation because we were not given that. So I was like, okay, how do I do that? So then obviously my financial tool set came through. I was like, all right, you already have education. Just start posting content that resonates with the community. And what resonated was the money mindset, the limited beliefs, the scarcity, the money trauma that our community has had and faced, the backlash of just our identities and not getting access to financial education and literacy. And just through posting content, you know, last year I helped create like 20 businesses in my local state, but I also coached over I think over 23 individuals last year. Some I'm still coaching on through this new year. And at its core, again, all these individuals just want is to understand their finances because it was never taught at home. Literally, a lot of these people come to me with fear in just in a clarity call. They're like, I'm scared. I have anxiety. And then they tell me that. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, feel you. Let's breathe it out. Like, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to give you a safe space to tell me what's going on. They tell me I have credit card debt because my parents never told me how to use a credit card and I don't know how to pay it off. They would tell me, okay, I don't even know how to save. How do I save? Mm-hmm. Or they would tell me they were unbanked. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have a banking institution. And I just was heartbroken. I was just like, I am privileged enough to go through this education because I pushed myself through it. This is my purpose. This is where I need to be. This is the work that I need to do is give access to our community of something that we never were supposed to have access Mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. And through that, my heart has been filled with so many individuals just saying thank you for just the basics of budgeting and saving and credit scores. And just with that, people already blown away. Mm -hmm. And if I'm very honest, I just blew up on TikTok a week ago. I posted a video about building generational wealth and the frustrations of teaching my parents about investing. And they tell me it's a scam. You know, they watched the 08 recession. They saw the impacts of all that. So I don't blame them. But out of frustration, I made a video talking about how they pissed me off about investing. And they're like, no, it's a scam. Why would we ever do that? And Bitcoin isn't real. You know, all this thing. And I get in my car and I I went to the gym and I came back and I was just like, I just want to build generational wealth. And it has to start with me. I am the one that has to do this. I'm the one who has to invest. 
And I've been investing since I was 18 and I've seen my portfolio increase, you know, over the years. I'm like, I know this is real. I've tested it out. Like I've tested these waters and I'm sure because they have millions of textbooks about investing, it's real. Like I studied this and their lack of belief for a community pushed my content though. Like I posted this video on TikTok and it blew up and I have over 750 views, 750,000 views on this video. And I had followers of 175 and I'm close to 50,000 now. And that video just came from the heart. It's just saying, hey, it's up to us as first gen or as DACA recipients or the first to get access to a banking institution. It doesn't matter your race or gender. They all felt my pain and the comments were immaculate. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy hell, I guess really I'm not alone. Like this is proof that this work, this gap, this wealth gap, is real. And yeah, there's so much work to be done. And I'm like, I can't do this by myself. We need more people advocating and talking about money. Like it's a real conversation versus a freaking textbook. Like if you're a professor, like, no, we don't need that. We just need to have a conversation like this about money. Podcasts like this are what is going to change the next generation. Like they're going to change us. Could not agree more. I think when you think it's so powerful, like I'm just listening to you. Every time you revisit your why, it like jumpstarts. So realize that every time you revisit your why, something happens, right? You go back to your why and it all starts with your who. So with that, as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm your host, Inland Miles Battingham. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.